You've downloaded NewsHour Extra, and it's a special edition of the programme this week, coming from Delhi. That's because partition, the anniversary, 70 years on, is approaching. And we're just trying to understand the state of Indian politics and culture just now. And I'm with Robin Banerjee, who's producing this edition of the programme. And just tell us a bit about why you wanted to talk about Hindutva. What is it, and why are we talking about it? So Hindutva is the ideology of the governing BJP party, Narendra Modi's party, and it's sometimes referred to as Hindu nationalism. Now, of course, India is a country of many nations, but it is 80% Hindu, broadly speaking. And uh, Hindu nationalism is an attempt to play to the concerns of those voters. Right, and it's probably fair to say that the first generation or two of Indian politicians were very vocal in sort of defending diversity, defending minorities... And Narendra Modi, the new prime minister for a couple of years now, has shifted away from that. Right. So in 1947, India became a new country. Nehru, India's first prime minister, was a kind of a socialist. He was a Fabian socialist. He didn't like profit in business. Indian economy was heavily regulated. And also India's growth rates were very low for a very long time. But at the same time, there was an important element of Congress ideology, which was trying to support minorities, support Christians, Muslims in particular. And this, after a while, led to a certain amount of resentment among some Hindus. Right. And now we've got this new approach. So that's what we're discussing over the next hour. You've put together a very strong panel to do it. Uh, They are GVL Narasimha Rao. So he's the national spokesperson for the governing Bharata Janata Party, BJP. That's Narendra Modi's party, Prime Minister's party. We've got Swapandas Gupta a writer and independent member of the Upper House of India's Parliament. We have Siddharth Varada Rajan, a senior journalist and academic, used to edit The Hindu, one of the big papers here, and now edits The Wire online. And Sabah Nakvi from India's Muslim community, who writes for The Times of India and The Economic Times, and who's written a book on the BJP. So, first question, is India still a secular country? It is very much a secular country. It was and it will remain secular. I think that much the fact that there is no institutional discrimination on the strength of someone's religion, I think is very well enshrined in the constitution and in society and in culture. But if you mean secularism in a very Western sense of the term of a complete separation or total uh, divorce of any form of religious symbolism from public life, I think... We are not secular in that sense of the term. I think there is a deep cultural basis of Indian public life, and those are sometimes linked to religion. And many of the controversies really have taken place over the question of what should be the cultural basis of our nationhood. Sabah Nakfi, what's your answer to the same question? Is India secular still? India is in, is secular in a sense, but uh, in spirit. The, the point is legally, of course, we are a secular state. And there are some uh, members of minorities who have, who have achieved extraordinary heights in India, in from cinema to writing to... So one, one cannot say that Indians, Muslims, are in that sense completely out of the loop. However, what has happened here is that I think we are no longer secular in spirit, We may be secular in law, but we are no longer secular in spirit because we've also seen the complete uh, marginalization of the minority, the largest minority being Muslims community. They are not represented now. They are the 
And I don't think I would blame the BJP entirely for this. There has been a very flawed uh, application of secular politics within India on the voter bank politics. So I wouldn't blame them for it. But their political model depends on excluding minorities and on uniting others against them. So to that extent, yes, minorities are facing a season of distress. Narasimha Rao, you speak for the BJP. Presumably you would you would say that Mr Modi, compared to, let's say, Prime Minister Nehru, right at the beginning, does have a different approach, a more Hindu nationalist approach. Prime Minister uh, Modi's approach to politics and governance is very well enunciated in, our, in the concept of sabka saad, sabka vikas. That is uh, uh, togetherness with all and we want development of all. As a party, we stand for no discrimination and no appeasement. But the problem in this country, the narrative in India for the past, particularly in the last three decades had been that secularism is actually the most abused and the most misinterpreted term in India. Secularism is now equated with uh, rank communalism and uh, appeasement of minorities that is passed off as some kind of secularism. That is the reason why there is a complete mismatch between the concept and the practitioners of uh, uh, so-called secular politics. So if I were to ask you to compare Mr. Modi to Mr. Nehru, would you say that uh, Mr. Nehru appeased minorities and that's the difference and Modi doesn't? No, this abuse actually began in the 80s and 90s. So I, during the term of Nehru post-partition, I think there has been certainly within the government, there were independent straws of opinion, but certainly largely this misuse has not begun in, in 50s. It has actually commenced from the Indira Gandhi era of politics and now today it, it's actually the, the, the country is completely divided on one, practitioners of true secularism we stand for and practitioners of communal politics like the Congress trying to pass off as secularism. You know, the, the slogan that the BJP members keep repeating, that the Prime Minister says development for all, is meaningless when they choose not to find any Muslims to represent them in Parliament, in the assemblies, nothing. Muslims are excluded from the party structure of the BJP, except for a few aberrations. Number one, they have changed the political experiment in India. It's a new experiment, and that experiment depends on growing growth in parts of India by rallying caste groups within Hindu society against a sort of imaginary uh, evil called the Muslim community, who have consistently always voted against the BJP. Now, everything that happens in India, let me say this, happens for political reasons. That is how our society is. It happens every kind of mobilization. There is always politics behind it. I'd just like to swap and just go up to, first of all, to give us your sort of uh, assessment. hearing two arguments that, you know, that there's absolute uh, equality between Hindus and Muslims in terms of access to power and society and so on. That's what the BJP is saying. And yet we're hearing the BJP doesn't actually include Muslims. So I think, you know, it would be fair to say that the Muslim community is underrepresented in this government. That is true, but there is a context to it. And the context has got everything to do with how the Muslim community, in its, on its part, saw itself as intervening in electoral politics. And if you sort of constitute yourself as an on block vote bank, and then there comes a vicious reaction to what some people would say a form of veto politics, this is precisely what has happened. To my mind, this is not something which should endure for too long. You're, you're saying that the Muslims themselves 
engage in communal politics by voting as a bloc. Absolutely. If the community had been far more equitably represented in other political parties, I think we would not have had this sharp reaction. Secularism, for me, means non-discrimination on the basis of religion. State having no religion. Secularism does not mean every party must follow a quota for every religion. This is not the true meaning of secularism. Sir, but that's a fair point, right? Of course, in, in principle, it's, it's a fair point. But the application, what, what we, are, we are talking about what is applied on the ground. This whole uh, story about Muslim appeasement is a joke because uh, all the data and studies tell you that Muslims are falling behind on every indicator. In the area where I live, which is near a landmark called the Qutub Minar of Delhi, you just have to... And this has got nothing to do with the BJP, actually. Even previous governments have really not bothered about the ghettos where Muslims okay. live. I'm going to bring this down to specific issues, because we're, we're talking in generalities, really. So let's just look at the appointment that's been made in Uttar Pradesh, the chief minister, and Narasimha Rao, perhaps you could, since you're the BJP spokesman, you could speak to this first. The new chief minister appointed, presumably effectively by Narendra Modi, he's the guy who runs the party, uh, is called Yogi Adityanath. He has said these things. Muslims are a crop of two-legged animals that have to be stopped, and we're preparing for religious war. Now, that doesn't sound like what you're talking about. I don't know where this statement is coming from. It's possible that statement had been made by different individuals in, in uh, the run-up to a campaign, but certainly he had been a five-term member of uh, parliament. And uh, <clears throat> But because he wears a, a saffron uh, robes, I think people should not really take confuse him to be religious. On the contrary, we actually were voted to power in Uttar Pradesh primarily because the previous government, which uh, the so-called secular government, communalized uh, even development. They only focused on religious minorities, which they wanted to convert them into a vote bank. And there was certainly a public reaction to it. You see, in this country, All India Muslim Union, Muslim League, which is a constituent of the Congress-led uh, Congress uh, Democratic Front in, in, in Kerala, Muslim League is considered to be a secular party. All India MIM, uh, uh, led by OIC, is considered to be a secular party. But BJP, is try, they try to label it as communal. This has been rejected by the people of the country. This has absolutely no connection with the people of this country. May, may I just say that I think half the problem in India arose from the fact that there was a significant section of the intelligentsia which developed an aversion to the word Hindu because they equated Hindu with something which was unacceptable, majority, majoritarianism, these were the words which were... Now, if in your quest for the secular identity, you were willing to remove all religious identities, so I would have said maybe that's a, it's a difficult goal, but it's worth aspiring for. But on the other hand, while having this allergy towards Hindus, you were equally concerned about creating, protecting, preserving, and enshrining the Muslim identity to an extent where it became equated with appeasement. Now, I understand that this may have been unfair to a lot of individual Muslims, and I think it may be unfair to a lot of Muslims who are suddenly well below the poverty line. But that is how politics shaped up in India. You know, I just find this whole narrative about that Hindus are being attacked and all that, I find it ridiculous. But the point is, it is successful. That is the point at which we stand. Because it is, it is based on false, false images. It's based on false data. 
that Hindus are under some sort of threat. But the BJP is ultimately, we have to look at the fact that the BJP is the offshoot of an organization which was founded in 1925 called the RSS, which is committed in principle to asserting Hindu hegemony on India. Now, I'm not saying they can succeed. I'm not saying they will succeed. But certainly, we have to accept that in spirit, our uh, secular narrative is completely worn out right now, not just because of the BJP. I'd repeat that. It has been because it became so hypocritical under the practitioners of uh, previous regimes. So that is why it got so tattered out. Right. We just, I can just see through the glass. We've been joined by Siddharth Varadarajan. Welcome. Do join us. Thank and you. you're, you're, you're joining us as we uh, get this discussion underway. And your mobile phone is being removed from you very sensibly so that we won't get any more uh, disruption. Thank you for coming. I should say that uh, Siddharth Varadarajan is a senior journalist, an academic, former editor of The Hindu, and you now edit uh, an online the Wire. publication called The Wire. So uh, we're, we're talking about secularism and Hindutva and where... India stands now. Before we get on to another specific issue, can you just give us your general take? I mean, we've been hearing a discussion about whether the BJP is moving India away from secularism or not. Different views on that. What is your view? The government of India's attachment to secularism, I think, is questionable and has been questionable for many years now. Uh, Primarily, if I measure it in terms of the performance of state agencies uh, in the face of violence against minorities representation of minorities in uh, different official bodies, parliament, police forces, bureaucracy. I would say that the earlier government's commitments to secularism are also can easily be questioned. The current government adds to that perhaps a new dimension, a cultural dimension, a more blatant political dimension. Part of the philosophy of the BJP or the RSS is to, in a way, question the Indianness of non-Hindus, which uh, earlier regimes have not done. Uh, and I think that well, new, okay, this okay, new dimension that, okay. is problematic. So that's quite interesting. So that's a specific claim that you're saying that the BJP questions the Indianness of non-Hindus. Can yes. you give me an example yeah. of Modi saying that? No. Well, Modi has uh, admitted being a Hindu nationalist. Yeah, but uh, who, who has actually said that? Well, I mean, if you look at they valorize, for example, uh, they're currently celebrating the anniversary of one of the ideologues of the BJP or Jansang, uh, Dindayal Upadhyay, who in his writings has spoken of how Muslims need to prove that they're Indians. This is not language that you expect of uh, a political party or, right. or, or, or an ideologue who you know, treats all Indians as equal regardless of religion. Narasimha Rao, your party celebrates a man who has said that. That's problematic, right? No, certainly. That's, no, that, that's not what he has said. But in any case, I, I think is there not freedom of speech if I consider all the citizens of India, we all have come from the same civilization. So we all have same shared culture. So if somebody says that, what is the problem? You may agree, you may differ. But why does this pseudo-intellectual class who have been committed to the Congress's uh, way of thinking, why do they want to impose their Stalinist thinking on the rest of India? No, 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 we no, want no. to think differently. Of- we believe... <laughs> No, we believe... Lots of objectives no, there. No, we believe... At me. No, no, we... Let's say if I consider every Indian to have the same shared civilization, I think that's my opinion. You may agree, you may disagree. No, 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 can no, I no, give you an example from the current, no, hold the on, current hold government? On, hold on, hold yeah. on. No one is saying yeah. you don't have the right to so, an opinion. Uh, yeah. well, the, I, the issue is whether there is a sense in which some elements of the society are not considered <clears throat> proper full Indians, right? That's, what, that's the issue. No, no absolutely I'll give you an example no. and I want you to respond, yeah. right? The, the culture minister of India, Mahesh Sharma, in an interview where he, he referred to the former revered president of India, APJ Abdul Kalam, and he used this, he said 
that Dr. Kalam, despite being a Muslim, was a great nationalist and a humanist. What kind of language is this from okay. a minister? I think the real problem that confronts Muslims right now is the lack if in Uttar Pradesh, we are talking about the state where Yogi, Adityanath Yogi rules right, right now, is that when people can now no longer uh, can approach the administration, that is one. On the issue of justice, it was always the record of secular regimes in India on Muslims getting justice was very poor. That will become worse. So, look, we are a society full of prejudice, be it on caste lines, be it on religious lines. It was always there. It's just that it's becoming worse and worse for Muslims. No, I think, you know, we can obviously talk about a situation where there are individuals, I don't think Deen Dhyalupadhyay is a perfect example of that, who may not think Muslims as Indians or need to establish their Indian credentials. I think there is a context to that. Yes, there is that trend of thought, but that trend of thought actually emanates from the legacy of partition when a significant section of the Muslim community voted to leave India. And I think that memory... That historical memory still but persists would, in this, that sense. Would, would, would this be fair that the, the previous political parties and political leaders in India have sort of resisted that thought, whereas the BJP does not resist it? No, I don't think that. I think every political party in India is officially committed to the idea that every every citizen of India is an equal citizen Absolutely. of India. And I th- don't, don't think there's any Listen, wavering there, there on that thought. Okay. But in society... There exists that feeling of suspicion, and I think it, it would be silly of me to deny that completely. For us, every citizen in, of India is an equal. But but the, the the regime that my friends on the panel that they glorify, they have never considered <laughs> that it was Manmohan Singh who was prime minister for ten years. He yeah. said the, the the first claim on national resources should go to Muslims. I think we are a secular country. Why should why should a minority be given? Why should they be favoured? Siddharth Rajan, can I just ask you, you, you to answer that point? That it's not at a sort of senior political level that this distinction is made. You know, asking people to prove their Indianness. It's in society, actually. Is that a fair point? It is in society, and it is the duty of people at the senior political level to combat this kind of view, not valorise it or encourage it. I see in the utterances of the culture minister, which the prime minister has not controverted. An endorsement of this kind of rank prejudice. Can I just move this on to an issue which I think many of you will think has probably got too much coverage in the West, but is nonetheless very striking for Western audiences, and that is the lynchings that have happened of people accused of uh, eating beef. And, and that has got a lot of attention in the international media. Saba, can you just talk us through, from your perspective as uh, someone from the Muslim community, and it, it has tended to be Muslims who have been attacked for this, what, you know, what your take is on this, these cow lynchings? I think that people are, are scared about travelling and being distinct. And they're, they're, I've, I've heard people talking about a concept called takaya, where you invisibilise yourself, especially when travelling. Where how do you get rid of the beard? How do you camouflage? Some of that is happening in in parts of UP and all of that. But uh, the lynchings are actually they fall into the pattern of what is called symbolic violence. It's not as if everybody all the time is going to get lynched. But these are these are things that have happened by organisations which are loosely connected to the larger family, which uh, the larger ideological uh, movement that now rules India. So well, you say loosely linked, point. but I have to pick you up on that. And Narasimha Rao would no doubt make this point. The Prime Minister has said this is wrong, right? 
I mean, he, he, he said it's. I agree. He has said it's wrong. But please note one thing: politics is about naming. It's about he. He. He did not take a name of a single individual. He will not utter. The prime minister is very particular about this, and and to at one level, I say okay, he's not a hypocrite. He will not utter the name of a Muslim, unless if if the person is a victim. He is very careful about that. It always takes time for him to say that. I have not heard him talk of Junaid, the young boy who was stabbed to death in a station. I did not hear him mention Pehlu Khan. I did not hear him mention Mohammed Ikhlaq. At the same time, Mr. Modi is so dramatic okay, in okay, his speeches. And he point. has not named them. Right, before and ask- he has, no, the most significant point is he presents it as a law and order problem. Before Narasimha Rao answers that point, Siddhat Varada Rajan, do you agree that the Prime Minister has failed to articulate the names of Muslim victims of these lynchings. Absolutely. He's, he has failed forthrightly to condemn at the, at the appropriate time and to send a clear, unambiguous signal at the right time when it was needed to people who, over whom he has influence. Marasim Rai, that would seem to be a problem. <clears throat> no, I would like... You see, this is hypocrisy at its worst. In this country... We can we have condemned as a party, Honorable Prime Minister also condemned. Every lynching incident is to be condemned. But how many times have you heard anyone in this country uh, talk about the lynching of Prashant Pujari in, in Mangaluru? Have you even heard? I can tw- give you 20 names. Such incidents have happened in this country. Nobody, none of these uh, famous uh, journalists will ever take his name so what, because what? they think it's okay to kill, to lynch a Hindu only a month ago, Kalyan Ghosh was lynched by a Muslim mob in Basirhat. I, I didn't want to use the word Muslim because you always make it a, a kind of a Hindu mob attacking a Muslim. These are criminal elements. We have called them out for that. Action has to be taken by the state governments in our structure. Federal structure, it is the state governments which will act. But unfortunately, even the case of uh, church attacks. In 2014, there was a bogey of church attacks being uh, being uh, done by again uh, sources or or people linked with the with the bjp what was what was found out thereafter it was found that these were petty thieves who were involved in these stone pelting incidents and a nun who was raped in in calcutta it became international news we were blamed right at the next moment but it, eventually it was found out okay. that the bangladeshi muslims were responsible for this so we I've... become easy targets I've got the point. So Swapandas Gupta, the, the, the claim I think from Narasimha Rao is that it's, it's, you know, the media is not balanced uh, when it reports on the victims of violent attacks. Well, I mean, the media by its very definition is prone to sensationalise. But I think the, there is a large issue. There have been hate crimes in India. I think it would be silly to again say that it hasn't happened. But I think, again, I would urge that people should get down to actually looking at what are the reasons why there is this grave deal of suspicion. Just a reminder that you're listening to NewsHour Extra, a podcast here from the BBC World Service. There are many others, and may I particularly recommend to you a Witness. If you enjoy NewsHour Extra, you might also want to take a listen to Witness. It basically takes an interview with a figure from history and relives some moments from the past. Uh, but this is News Hour Extra, and let's resume the second half of the programme. A reminder again of the panel today. We have Narasimha Rao of the BJP. We have a member of the Upper House of India's Parliament, Swapandas Gupta, who's got to go and make a speech on foreign policy and is extremely anxious about it, and you will probably slip away uh, five or ten minutes early just to be able to do that. We have the writers, Siddharth Varadarajan and Saban Nakvi. And let's just put this in a broader context, if you can. Now, there was this idea when partition happened and we're here because 
independence partition happened 70 years ago. And the idea of the Pakistanis then, who became the Pakistanis, was that there were two nations in India, Muslims and Hindus, and they could never live together. That was the idea, which many in India rejected. But nonetheless, I'm hearing a lot of problems which suggest that the two-nation theory may have more advocates than I would imagine. Why don't you start us off, Sabah? No, I, don't, I, I would never believe that because you look at Pakistan. I mean, Shia, Sunni, within community, Baluch, Pakistan, Sindhi. So that's rubbish. It, it's, it's, it's useful, though, when Muslims feel victimized. It's useful when you have issues such as Kashmir cropping up. And there may be some people who would say, who would, in a moment of despondency, some members of the Muslim community, who may feel, feel such. But if you actually examine it with any intellectual honesty... The two-nation theory is rubbish because, first of all, the Bengal end of Pakistan went away. So it's a very, very flawed theory that any set of people based on a religious identity create any sort of nation. It's flawed. But what we're talking about, the reason why it is it is being brought up uh, today again and again is because we are facing a problem. India has the world's third largest Muslim community. There is, uh, They are not represented. They are backward, they are poor, they are the subject of mobilization against them. And so they are being, they are sort of being pushed out on, on a scale <clears throat> which is worrying. Are, are, you saying, are you saying as an Indian Muslim, you re- regret the creation of Pakistan? I, I, I would always say that. It was sort of, imagine the cricket team we would have had. <laughs> That's one reason. I mean, just think of that. <laughs> Look, uh, uh, the problem uh, that we confront in India today, and the reason, you know, is is that the two-nation theory was subscribed to at the time of partition and before, not just by the Muslim League and Jinnah, but by Hindu fanatics too. Uh, v. D. Savarkar is the first person who came up with the idea of India being a Hindu country, a Hindu Rashtra. And the RSS, uh, which is the parent body of the Bharti Janata Party, which rules India today, also embraces this concept of a Hindu Rashtra which is why this idea that Muslims are not true Indians or they can become true Indians only if they embrace their inner Hindus, Hindu, Hindus, Hindu self, right? So when you have, uh, so the partition was the product of various complex factors, but the advocacy of the two-nation theory was done by Muslim fanatics and by Hindu fanatics. And unfortunately, you see remnants of that politics playing out in India today, particularly at a time when advocates of that idea of India being a Hindu country control the government. So they use every lever of influence to push this pernicious idea. Uh, and targeting Muslims is part and parcel of this process. Let's move this on to uh, an international level. And uh, perhaps since you're doing a speech, your speech is on foreign policy in the Senate, in the, in the upper house uh, later on this afternoon. Can you just compare what's happening here? Because many people do make this comparison that Modi has got something in common with what's happening in the United States, what's happening in Turkey, what's happening in Russia. The slogan is here, India first. Trump has the slogan, America first. Is there a parallel in these nationalisms? Well, you could detect a parallel. And I think that parallel could be that there are a substantial section of the population which feel that they are not being adequately represented this is a very different form of representation, which I think Sabah is talking about when she talks that Muslims are not being represented, by which means that some of her friends didn't get elected to parliament. That's really what she... <laughs> now, I, th- I think when you have a majority, majority, community, majority community actually feels that some way 
they do not have access or they do not actually set the cultural tone of the country, there comes a time when there is a backlash. And I've been using the word backlash consistently in this program. I do not know the exact details of what caused what is called populism in the United States or whether Putin has a similar agenda. But certainly there is a sense in which Putin wants to make Russia great again. Now, here too, there is a feeling that India, which probably had a great deal of potential, has not lived up to its potential. And now we must do, we must take certain measures, both economically, as well as culturally, as well as in the political field, perhaps by having a decisive decision-making structure in order to achieve that. Okay. Now, if you equate mm. that with uh, the things in America, which I don't think can be equated because I think the, the decision-making structures in America are quite shambolic at present. Maybe yeah, there, there are always going to be differences, but yeah, nonetheless, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing to ask you whether you, know, you can see a case for India first and, le- and when you look at another country doing it, see less of a case for what Trump's doing, what Putin's doing, what Erdogan is doing or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not really looking at it, but India first has been a, 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 a slogan of the BJP. It is I, I, ironically uh, a, a slogan which has been borrowed from some of the Western things which had the nation first thing. And they don't necessarily mean to what happened in the 1930s. Oh, it's colonialism. Uh, the, the, the 1930s. <laughs> but the idea that you put self-interest above everything else for the moment to get ahead in the world game, I think that's really so, what you it know, is. This, all this uh, sloganeering, can I, can I speak yeah, okay, now, about India first and all? It's all pretty... Chopin is a good friend. And I'm glad he's in Parliament, <laughs> but uh, it's all, it's also hollow because actually I'll tell you what I what I think is going to happen now is that because they're failing so badly on on economic indicators, the BJP there's been a slowdown in manufacturing in every level of the economy. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, let me. I'm going to put that in perspective. I'm going to put it in perspective. Growth was around seven, eight percent. It's now around six something percent. Okay, so can I finish my point? The point is so when you're not able to deliver jobs, when you're not able to deliver on the real bread and butter issues, you get back to identities. So you have to you create this this specter of this great nation, this great leader. You have these awful people there, these Muslims. You you play into all these. These are very old designs. The Brits did it very well too in India and Pakistan. The British also used all of that divide and rule and everything. Since this is going to be for no, British, uh, the, the, the problem is, the is more than just the Muslims. <laughs> the problem is a lot of journalists uh, cannot accept the fact that Prime Minister Modi today is is far more popular than he was three years ago. Siddharth, so, 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 so move on to this issue of of the the, the United States, Turkey, Russia. Yeah. You know this this growing nationalism around the world. Is he part yeah. of it? Uh, he is, uh, but I would say that we shouldn't make too much of this because uh, this each country has its own specific dynamics. Uh, each leader and the political organization that they represent, uh, you know, Trump, for example, has no uh, real political organization to back him. Uh, Modi has a formidable political organization to back him. Erdogan turned on a political organization that at one time had supported him, right? So so these are very different models. India first, Russia, you know, th- these are slogans. This is motherhood and apple pie, quite frankly. You'll never find a government that doesn't say we put our country first, right? So these are slogans. I don't see this government any more putting the country first than the previous government did. Essentially, there's a, there's a hard muscular edge to a lot of the rhetoric. And uh, there is, I think, a, a sense in which 
nationalism is being cultivated as uh, a political plank for uh, for electoral purposes. So I think that the when they say India first, it's less for global, less in terms of defining how India deals with other countries, but it's more to send a message to people at home that uh, you know the nation is under threat yeah. and we are the ones who can. Okay, I'll just security. add a yeah, small can, point to this. Yeah. I think really what the biggest change which we've seen in India over the past three years is that there's been a churning in terms of the elites. We had a certain elite which was ruling the country, which was really in positions of authority and command. They seem to have been dispossessed. And there is, understandably, from their point of view, a great deal of resentment by this new interlopers, outlanders who've just sort of arrived at the scene, who lack perhaps the same degree of cosmopolitan sophistication. And I think a lot of the resentment is due to that. But I think you could also see it as an element of India's greater democratization. Yeah, but let me put this to you, and then I'll put it to Narasimha Rao as well, that these sort of culture wars, the cow stuff, all the religious uh, symbolism, all that is arguably, do you think, when you see, it, you see it in the United States, same sort of culture war issues coming up, that it is a diversion, in a sense, from the economic program that Modi said was his big thing. I mean, that's why he got elected, yeah. to get the growth. I think the person who'd agree with you most will be Mr. Modi himself. <laughs> I think because he also feels that it's really when you drive relentlessly and single-mindedly in the direction of economic progress that a lot of these other issues will fall into place and will not have that same degree of importance. Now, the BJP obviously has a certain core belief which drives them. But Mr. Modi's agenda and Mr. Modi's program, as far as he's concerned, is economic. And he has been, which is why he's been very miserly when talking about other issues. Narasimha Rao, you'll have probably seen an article in The Economist which made the precisely opposite argument, saying that he was more interested in the culture wars than the economic growth. What's your take on that? I, I think the people of the country are quite uh, amused at the kind of uh, undisproportionate coverage, isolated yet very condemnable incidents receive in the media. People now know the mainstream media does not really necessarily focus on issues that concern people. Prime Minister has a direct connect with the people. He has man ke baat. He reaches out to the people. Fake so news. He has, so a large sections of the media, I think if you watch the media here, you will find a lot of what is discussed in the media honestly doesn't concern the common man. Uh, about Prime Minister Modi as a, somebody who's covered the BJP for many years, when he was, it's, it's, he's a very interesting politician to observe. So he came to uh, to be chief minister of Gujarat after the riots. Many of the people who he couldn't of the of the larger ideological family, he actually distanced himself from them over there within Gujarat. He maintained henceforth a certain level of law and order and economic growth at one level. Yes, at the same time, uh, the minorities were excluded again, but there was peace and there was not lynching, and that that stopped. Now, the question is, now, Prime Minister Modi, now that the conquest of India is almost complete, it's almost complete. I mean, there are just a few pockets which are not ruled by the BJP. And we are in an entirely new political uh, system right now, which none of us can understand because none of us have memories of living in single party rule. Okay, so just to understand understand what you're saying, you're saying that in Gujarat, when he was chief minister, he moved from a culture based program to an economic program. Yes, he did. And you think he might do that again as prime minister? I hope he would do that because I hope he did do that. Uh, If I can can square the circle, this, you know, for the benefit of your readers, this apparent divergence between the so-called culture wars and the economic agenda. 
The fact of the matter is that the economy is not doing well on key metrics. Six percent. No, no. One growth. second. One second. One second. One second. One second. <laughs> okay. one second. On the key met on the metric which matters the most, which is employment and livelihood. Right. If any you look at any data set, jobs aren't being created. Mr. Modi's problem is how to remain politically attractive at the hustings in 2019. If by then it is obvious to your support base that the dreams that you have sold of employment are nowhere to be seen, right? And I think that's where the the fact that you've kept the cultural war, the culture war going, uh, serves a purpose because. You know, when you split, when you divide people, when you and we've seen Mr. Modi himself at election time in Bihar, for example, uh, when he uh, uh, raised the Hindu-Muslim issue in an election campaign, or in Uttar Pradesh, in a very subtle way, we've seen Mr. Modi himself, but other BJP leaders do it as an electoral strategy. So I think that's where the cultural agenda and the the uh, communal propaganda that the party engages in will come in handy at election time. I find it really interesting that the BJP has, in my journalism career, I've never this kind of majority. No party has enjoyed it as long as I've covered politics, but that they still talk as if there are some people in the system who they are fighting. It's it's a beautiful positioning. You carry on about the secularists. You carry on about the liberals. You just carry on this sort of as if you're fighting someone. You won every round. So, but but let me just ask you uh, this, Mr. Modi. You know, there's no question when he came into power. He was seen as being at one end of the spectrum of Indian politics. I just wonder, I read a very interesting suggestion that it may be that he will come to be seen as a moderate. You know, that India is moving so far to the right that Mr. Modi could become to see as more in the mainstream. Uh, why don't I start with you, Chopin, on that? Do you think that's possible? Well, I think he's likely to be seen more as a modernizer. I think if there is going to be one contribution to Mr. Modi, and I think that's the stamp which is going to be a man who took India from potential to reality. And I think we've been always talking about what a great potential India has. And nobody really had that determination to push it in that direction, but on the, on take the... certain decisions, <clears throat> which could potentially be unpopular in the short term. Yeah, on, that's on the economic could... side. But on the cultural side, do you think he may, he may be outflanked? Well, I don't think he'll be outflanked. But I think there is a loony right, which is there which is very much uh, a da- potentially dangerous. A loony right. Yes, I would say there is a loony right, which is there. And I think they are, they are dangerous because they could alienate a very, very large section of 13% of the population who are very much part of our society. The Muslims. Yeah, they are very much a part of our society, but who may be alienated politically from the BJP. Now, political, in our poli- if you equate political alienation and make that into a cultural alienation, you're going to get problems. So who are these people you're talking about? I and mean, who are the loony right? Well, basically, these are people who think that Modi is too moderate, the BJP is too moderate, that we must have this, you know, complete intolerance towards any other form of uh, religious observance. They're quite fragmented. They operate more in the social media than they operate on the ground. And I hope they remain that way. But, you know, they're quite good in terms. They would probably be the same, uh, the equivalent of those who sort of said uh, Obama is not an American. And I don't think they are a menace to society as yet, but there are flashpoints. And I think this lynching incident is a perfect example of how they could actually derail the discourse in some direction or the other. Rao, you, you, you know, you have to operate within the BJP, seeing all these trends, these pressures within uh, the organization. Do you recognize 
what we've just heard about these fringe elements, you call them fringe at the moment, I know that, uh, fringe elements who, who just have very extreme positions. Like there are radical Islamists in this country, there is no dearth of them, who do not even accept that terrorists who have been given punishment, capital punishment by Supreme Court, they will not accept it. You have large number of them uh, uh, even defending uh, Hezbollah Mujahideen, dreaded uh, uh, terrorist organizations. Like there are radical Hindu groups also. But unfortunately, every, every time a Hindu word is uttered, they try to fix that label on the BJP. We, we, there are many organizations by the same name, which have nothing to do with either the BJP or to our ideological uh, parivar. Well, let's pin, so, it, let's pin this down a bit. I mean, the RSS is an organization which has people going out in sort of uniforms and they do sort of paramilitary training in a sense. I mean, I've seen it where they go to training how to beat people hardly, up with, with... Hardly paramilitary well, is the word you have. Well, I mean, I've seen them. They, 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 they go on parade and they have sticks. And they practice how to beat people up. I mean, it's... it's, it's yeah. I mean, the Boy Scouts no, also did it. OK, so, so uh, would you include them in the loony right? What I mean, you had were people who were breakaways. Some of them may have even originated from the RSS, but these have always been breakaway factions. And it's really those breakaway elements and some of them who've been bred through their own experiences, may have bitter experiences, etc., and they represent, as Narasimha Rao pointed out, they are the polar opposite. They they are the mirror image of some of those Islamists who really want uh, a, the caliphate as established in India. So I think we need to be aware of that. We need to flag that problem. But let's look at it this way. They, no, they are not really a political menace as yet, but everything should be done to make sure it remains that way. Could I just... Put a little bit of perspective here. The fact is that you have some extremist Hindu organizations that are definitely unconnected to the RSS and the BJP. The Hindu Mahasabha, for example, is organizationally different even if they share certain views. But within the RSS fold, you have a group like Bajrang Dal, you have a group like the Vishwa Hindu Parishad that are very much the loony right. Okay, finally, and, and Swapan, I'll ask you to go first on this, and you can go away and make your, make your speech. What's your speech going to be about, by the way? About foreign policy. That's as vague as it gets. Uh, so so uh, on, on my final question to you is this. I don't think anyone's doubting that Modi has moved India. I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he's a very significant figure in Indian uh, history, modern history. Uh, where will this be in 10 years? Well, I hope, you know, he can carry one de- decisiveness, which is very important in India, that sort of ambivalence which marked politics earlier has gone. Number two, I hope he can take India in two certain definite directions. One is cleanliness, public cleanliness. That, to my, in my scheme of things, that matters very... It's very important. Secondly, what he's done, it's very important, He has started rolling back corruption. You know, in India, corruption, it assumed such a form that it was getting increasing by the day. Now he's somewhat rolled back the frontiers of corruption. He hasn't succeeded in eradicating it. But if you look at it in 10 years, if we can have a more honest, transparent society, I think we will be fit to be a factor in the world economically. And what about in terms of uh, the subject of our program, Hindu nationalism? Where will will India be in that respect? Well, I hope we will have a far more self-confident, enlightened Hindu community I believe that the roots of India, to a very, very large extent, have been shaped by what can loosely be called Hindu. And I hope it remains so that the cultural identity of India is not swamped 
by some sort of a mindless globalization or a sort of a melting pot of globalization that we retain our distinctive cultural identities. I hope you're heckled. I only say that because you said you love being heckled. So have a good speech. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope they they sock it to you, uh, Sabo. What 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 is your assessment of where we will be in ten years' time? On the Hindu, I, I I'll tell you one thing. I having covered the BJP, having even seen Mr. Modi when he was an organising secretary of the BJP, there's going to be very unexpected things are going to happen. I actually suspect that Hindu nationalism is part of the script and it'll it'll remain in the atmosphere. I think Mr. Modi is headed in a political direction where he's going to appeal very strongly and he's going to build that that base with only people who are identified as poor. He has he's changing the political experimentation. He the party gets a lot of finances from big corporates that'll continue, but the middle uh, middle class is going to be smashed in multiple ways. It's it's going to it's going to be the reversal of what he did in Gujarat. So we 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 are in for a completely new era where he will dominate. He will be the great leader. He will dominate, and he knows that he has understood very quickly after in the, after his first year when he took certain steps that were considered pro-rich as opposed to pro-poor. He has understood that, and he is going to do. Things are moving in that direction. Are you saying he's going to move from stressing Hindu nationalism into stressing class politics? I think so. Yes. That is going to be where he's going to win and remain invincible. Siddharth, that's a very interesting theory. What do you think? Well, I don't agree with it. I mean, there's an element of class politics that he plays. For example, he sold uh, the uh, nonsensical policy of demonetization as as a a poor versus rich. Uh, So there is an element of this in his rhetoric. But I would say, in response to your question of where we are 10 years from now, if Modi carries on in this vein, uh, India will be a frightening place because he is somebody who, in the last three and a half years has undermined institution after institution. The independence of whether it's uh, you know different branches of government, he's tried to make inroads in the, in the judiciary. He has uh, tried to, reg- his, his ministers and people have tried to regiment the university system in a particular direction. Uh, so uh, the media has uh, essentially, you know, a, a, a former minister uses the phrase North Korean media to describe a major section of uh, India's television channels because that's pretty much the way they behave incredulous coverage of what the, the great leader does. Uh, so I think if we have 10 years of this, uh, you will perhaps not recognize uh, India, uh, uh, you know, the way it is, uh, the way it will be then. And, and, and you, so it, does your disagreement with Sabah extend to the, the, the degree that you think Hindu nationalism will still be a big deal in a decade? Hindu, national, Hindu nationalism or Hindu communalism informs every aspect of the BJP's political philosophy. Narasi Mara. No, whatever uh, gloomy scenarios uh, 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 people like Siddharth might want to project, I think uh, Prime Minister, this is what has been talked about him for the last 15 years. And every election he emerges stronger because he's really delivering what people want. That is governance and development. And these kind of uh, campaigns have really not hurt him so far, nor will they hurt in future. As far as this country is has been secular always, even when it was not introduced in the constitution, when the constitution was amended to call it a secular republic, even earlier it was secular because the ethos of this country, the Hindus who constitute the vast majority of this country are secular. Had it been a Muslim majority country, it would have become Islamic country some decades ago after independence. It is because Hindus as a community 
are a secular community whom our friends want to all the time uh, disparage. He, he I think we have remained. We have, re we have remained secular and we will remain secular. He's just made my case because the point is that Indian, India is secular because of Indians, not because of people following one religion or the other. No, it's because it's a Hindu majority country is, more than... You know, can, you, can you name countries, Muslim countries, majority countries which are secular? So it's a hypocrisy when you don't accept that but, fact. So, so, can, I just ask you, can I just ask you, uh, Narasim Rao, to, to, to pin you down on this point? What will the role of Hindu nationalism be in Modi's politics in a decade? Will it, will it become less, a less of a, a central element of his politics or not? His prime minister, Mr. Modi, is a constitutional prime minister. He will abide by the constitution, by every word and letter and spirit of it. There will be no deviations whatsoever. So not, not quite what I asked. I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think Hindu nationalism is, of course, going to grow in its own way. But again, I repeat, I repeat that Prime Minister Modi is on to a new experiment. If that succeeds, it's going to be the class experiment. Okay, Narasimha, that's yeah. what I'm trying to pin you down on. No, I, you see, as I said, Prime Minister certainly has a pro-poor focus, pro-people focus. But for us, the Hindu nationalism is not a political concept. Let that be made very clear. We will, we, will, we will keep going to the people on issues of development, on issues of governance. And uh, I think people who hear this conversation should not believe there is some kind, of a, 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 some kind of clash of ideologies at the ground level. In this country, there is tremendous communal harmony. It is there today, it was there decades ago, and it will ever remain. We'll leave it there. Thank you all very much indeed. Uh, please uh, do let us know what you uh, think of the programme. Newshour.extra at bbc.co.uk. Tweet at bbcnhextra. Thanks very much to Narasimha Rao, to Siddharth Varadarajan, to Saban Nakvi, and earlier to uh, Swapandas Gupta. And just uh, a reminder once again, the podcast is there, BBC Newshour Extra podcast. But it's been a very lively discussion here in Delhi. We're going to Pakistan next week and we'll be talking about not dissimilar issues there. So thank you all very much for contributing to uh, this discussion and from Owen Bennett-Jones here in Delhi. Goodbye.